It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Locked On Jazz for the 30th of January. Blake Griffin traded. The impact on the Utah Jazz and the Western Conference, plus a special edition visit from Locked On Clippers and Locked On Pistons to break this down. Donovan Mitchell and I chatted about learning and finishing. We'll share that with you, plus the Warriors are in town. It's all coming up on a jam-packed edition of Locked On Jazz. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA Insider. I hope you are doing great today. Thanks so much for tuning in. The mammoth, mammoth, mammoth trade of Blake Griffin will be a focus, but the Warriors are also in town and a cool interview with Donovan Mitchell. So this is a huge episode. The interview with Donovan Mitchell, you're really going to like. We break down how he learned how to finish, how he's, why he's good at learning, uh, his background academically, some of the things that Jazz did to teach him. So there's a lot to that interview that I think you're, you're really, really going to like. So we'll Blake, break down the Blake trade, then we'll give you Donovan, then we'll talk about Steph, and then we'll do the Pistons, the Pistons and the Clippers' point of view on the trade. This show is called Locked on Jazz. It's a daily podcast on the Utah Jazz and the NBA, bringing you insight, expertise, a look behind the curtains and geeky numbers that you cannot get anywhere else. Today, it's brought to you by Murdoch Hyundai, as well as Intercap Lending. All right, let's get right to the Blake Griffin trade to start uh, and the impact it has on the Jazz. Uh, So, first off, My overall take on this trade is it's a trade made by two franchises without great direction. So in the case of the Pistons, I don't think they had any other choice. They had lost eight in a row. What they had built wasn't working. Tearing down is hard. They had a bunch of pieces, and they have Andre Drummond. And so they used their pieces to at least make a play. From a, from a piston standpoint, I, I understand what they did. Uh, they had to do something else. The end of Blake's contract is terrifying. I'm a huge Blake Griffin fan. I, I still believe he's young enough. He's got an athletic skill. He's adapting to the game. He's an elite-level talent. He's a star. Um, and if you can go get that guy, I think you have to do it. Now, that contract and that injury history and the fact that the game is kind of evolving around him in a weird way, that this year his effective field goal percentage is below league average, it's a little unnerving to me, okay? So I'm not. I, I'm a big Blake fan, but I will admit that I, I often am yearning for more. He's also now 28 years old, so by the end of this contract, he's at 40 million and over 30, and he's played 67, 35, 61 in th- games the last three years. So, still, from a Pistons standpoint, that's a star player. You were decided you're moving on from Avery Bradley. Clearly, 
So you basically traded Tobias Harris, who you were going to have to pay an awful lot of money coming up, and your first-round pick for Blake Griffin, who just gives you a little bit more oomph. Okay, I kind of get it. I kind of get it. They don't – they're still – and I give them the credit from the standpoint that it wasn't working and they had to do something. From the Clippers' standpoint, it shows to me an organization without a plan, without preparation, without a core. They signed Blake six months ago. Detroit calls them, and all of a sudden they take an entirely different direction. Like if Detroit doesn't call, they're just moving along. I don't think they had had. I don't have the feeling that the Clippers had had some large organizational decision that they were going to go do this. The Clippers feel a lot like where we were when we traded Darren, but that was an organizational plan that Kevin O'Connor had put into play because we were about to lose a free agent. And then we tried to do what the Clippers are trying to do, which is we'll trade our star, bring in enough average talent to try to stay competitive. It didn't work. Right? We fell flat on our face, lost our core, didn't make the playoffs that year. But for the Clippers... Unless they can turn Avery Bradley, who's frankly too small and broken, for a first, then then maybe they get enough value on this thing. They're not going to be terrible all of a sudden. They're, and that might be the problem. Not nothing that they've done in the last six months makes any sense. With this move, signing Danilo Gallinari, bringing in Teodosic, it's as though they panicked when Chris Paul left and pivoted six months later. It's not a, it's not a great way to do things. I'm not sure where they're going, unless this is Steve Ballmer's master plan to make the Clippers terrible, not get his arena, and move the franchise to Seattle. All right, what's the impact on the Jazz? The impact on the Jazz, first from a playoff standpoint, Clippers were nine, and the Pelicans are in the playoffs. So if you think the Pelicans are going to fall without DeMarcus, the Jazz have to make up six games on the Pelicans. That's a lot. We do play them coming up here twice, so there could be two of them if you win in New Orleans twice. Uh, I, I... You've already played. We've already played the two home games against them, so you have to be, you beat them twice on the road. Then we're suddenly talking. You might be able to catch the Pelicans. The Clippers probably fall out a little bit here. Denver's four and a half games up on the Jazz after losing last night, as they felt they had a the game in control and then fell. I still have a hard time doing the math and figuring out how the Jazz make the playoffs. Uh. I think, first of all, I don't think the Clippers are going to be terrible. So it's not like I think they're... But if the Jazz got hot and they could catch the Clippers, they're still ninth. So you've got to catch Denver, Portland, or the Pelicans, and you're five games, six games behind those teams with 33 left. It's just not... It's almost... It's really hard to do. You know, if we we have to get to say 40 wins, say everything breaks our way and you'll have to get to 40 wins because the Pelicans have a complete disaster and the Pelicans go 12 and 20, 
whatever the rest of the way, 12 and 23. For us to get to 40 wins, we still have to go 19. We'd have to go 19 and 15, I think it is, or something of the sort, the rest of the way. And that's that makes it, that makes it, you know, maybe we could do that. Get to 42 wins, we have to win tw- go 21 and 12 the rest of the way. I don't know that we can do that. I'm not sure we're that team. From the trade deadline standpoint, this does get the ball rolling. Everything I told you yesterday evidently is wrong, that I didn't see the deals being made yet. But from So let's start with Miritich. Uh, Miritich, the Bulls are in an interesting spot all of a sudden. The Bulls have said that they want a first-round draft pick for Miritich. Well, Detroit was the team that was going to give up that first-round draft pick for Miritich. Detroit no longer has a first-round draft pick, and they now have Blake Griffin, so they are not interested. So a major person just came off the board on Miritich. Now the problem they have is that they did kind of, you know, what every fan likes is when you talk publicly about your trade desires and things of that nature and what do you get and instead what happens is now everyone in the league knows what you wanted and so when and your fans so now when you go take uh when you go take two second round draft picks for him it looks as though you lost the trade by the way Miritich is battling a lower leg strain and um is unknown whether his status is for the upcoming game against Portland so there's the first one uh, from so that's probably a positive uh, from the Miritich standpoint. Uh, Miritich still playing fairly well over his last eight games: sixteen points a game, five rebounds, two assists, forty-four percent for the field, thirty-seven percent from three. Part two of this is, and I don't know if the Jazz were going to do this or not, but if the Jazz in fact are are looking around on Rodney Hood, Detroit was a really high likelihood destination. Uh, and, again, was evidently willing to move a first-round draft pick. That They had decided they were moving off Avery Bradley, and they weren't signing Avery Bradley, and so suddenly Rodney Hood to them could have become a very appealing player out there. Lou Williams being on the board probably drops the Rodney Hood one level. The, excuse me, I think Lou Williams is probably more appealing, uh, more desirable than getting uh, Rodney Hood for most teams. One, it probably costs a little bit less uh, because he's a free agent at the end of the year and he's a little older and he's also a better offensive player right now. So from that standpoint, I, I don't. From, if the Jazz are interested in trading Rodney, I don't think this has good impact in that it took Detroit off the market and it probably puts Lou Williams on the market, who I think will be a priority ahead of Rodney Hood. Rodney Hood's a, a long-term play for somebody, particularly if we're going to get the value we want for it. If we want to trade Rodney, we're expecting to get some value back. Rodney's a good player. Someone's got to be looking at Rodney as though they want him for the future if they're going to trade for him. So that's my take on the Blake Griffin 
mammoth trade. I probably should have broke down what the trade was, but I'm assuming that most of you have heard about it by now. If not, uh, I will. I will try to figure out what I, uh, I, I, I've just screwed it up. There's nothing to do. I think I misspoke yesterday. Everything on yesterday's show was wrong. The trade deadline is the 8th. I think I said the 6th, by the way. The trade deadline is the 8th. So we will actually be home from our road trip on the Thursday the 8th is the, is the, uh, all right, really interesting conversation coming up with Donovan Mitchell that I had in Charlotte. Uh, but first, I want to tell you that what's going on, uh, final days at Murdoch Hyundai, 4646 South State Street, also out in Linden. My buddy Blake is hanging out actually in Linden now, so you can go uh, visit him at the Linden store. Uh, But when you're talking about the Murdochs and you're talking about Hyundai, you've got two things going for you. One is uh, how blown away I've been by the Hyundai brand. The value that you can get for the, the dollar. Uh, the 2018 Santa Fe Sport. It's got all the bells and whistles, all the safety issues on it. Uh, and you start digging in and you compare what you're paying and you're paying you know, $10,000, $20,000 more for the same things on other cars. So go check it out. Add them to your list. As I said, when I first started driving a Hyundai, I, I was not a car I would have naturally had on my list to add, you know, if I was searching for a car. Uh, now I would, having driven it and understood the value and the price and the point figure. Then the second part of it is that you're dealing with the Murdoch family, so you get their no regrets. And their no regrets is trying to do everything they possibly can to make sure that your experience is as good as it can be. Extended hours in the service department, price match guarantee, uh, car washes and oil changes for life. Those are the things that the Murdochs do to make sure that you have a fabulous experience. And... If you're in the market for a car, you've got today and tomorrow 1.99% sales events still going on uh, with Golden West Credit Union. That's all at Murdoch Hyundai in Murray at 4646 South State Street, also out in Linden. Life is complicated, especially right now. You're spending more time inside, unable to go to restaurants, and that means you're cooking dinner. But if you're like me, I hate cooking. Multiple trips to the grocery store, hours of monotonous meal prep just so you can scarf down your food in minutes. So when it's dinner time, I grab my phone, open up an app, and order something. But after convenience fees, delivery fees, and who knows whatever other fees, it ends up being close to $100 for two people. But then I met Freshly. Just put up your feet and relax while Freshly chefs and nutritionists do all the hard work. All you do is heat for three minutes and dinner's done. Imagine a better for you golden oven fried chicken, steak peppercorn with sauteed carrots and French green beans, and my personal favorite, buffalo chicken with loaded mashed cauliflower. It's got fewer carbs. That's just a few of the 30-plus health-conscious options to choose from. Freshly understands that food needs to be delicious, healthy, and simple, because let's be honest here, if it's not easy, I'm not going to do it, and if it doesn't taste good, I don't want to eat it. Freshly is offering our listeners $40 off, $40 off for their first two orders at Freshly.com slash LockedOnNBA. That's Freshly.com slash LockedOnNBA. All right, Warriors are in town. Um, and before we get to the Warriors, though, I want to let you hear uh, – it's just a huge show. So we've got the Donovan Mitchell conversation coming up, and then we'll hear from both Lockdown Clippers and Lockdown Pistons coming up here in just a moment. Uh, but when, when I was in Charlotte, 
I sat down with Donovan for a few minutes. We actually had an extended conversation. The first few minutes I put on tape about how he learns and how he has learned how to finish and become a better finisher and how his academic background has helped him with that. And that was a really interesting conversation. So this conversation took back, uh, took place back in Charlotte, and it really comes down to his improved finishing, what the Jazz did, and then how he learned uh, how to become a better finisher. They said they gave you some video in the offseason of, like, different finishing, like 14 different finishes. Yeah. So can you tell me a little bit about the video and kind of what your approach was with it? Um, you know, we had to... What we call goofy foot finish, you know, same foot, same hand, you know, the opposite of what you're taught when you're a kid. Um, uh, you have finishing like Euro steps, uh, floaters, um, kind of finishing high off the backboard, off the same foot, off the off the right foot, off the left foot. Um, there were so many, there were so many <laughs> to be honest. But um, you know, when I when I look, I still have the video actually, uh, my computer at home, but. Um, there was just so many different, different unique finishes that I learned, and it allowed me to kind of go when I when I watch, watching those 14 different finishes with the players they show me allowed me to go watch. When we watch a game, I notice it, you know, and I think that's what really I took away from it. Because now when we watch games or I watch film, I'm like, wow, like, you know, Kemba, Kemba use it or Kemba, and it's like a slight, small, simple thing that you don't really notice it unless you've been watching it for a little bit. So I've taken a lot from those videos, and I feel like I've come a long way from. Trying at the beginning of those videos in the summer at uh, my local uh, school, um, kind of trying it to be able to do it in the games. What was the process? So you get the video and then what? Get the video. I'll probably watch it. When I first got it, I was at home. And I get the video, go to the gym, have it like on the side, uh, watch it, try it, uh, keep watching it, and try it again and again for about four hours. Then you had a few, uh, Coach Lamar came out <clears throat> to Connecticut with me and we worked on it a little bit. And he gave me pretty much a basis on how it's supposed to look if I did it wrong or if I didn't do it the exactly the right way. So once I did that with him, I think then I started to take off and, and go and uh, understand, have a better understanding. And then when we got to the U for training camp, Johnny and I worked on it relentlessly. Who were some of the guys in the video? Um, Tony Parker's one. Um, Westbrook. I want to say Kyle Lowry. Ginobili's a big one. Ginobili was a big one. Um, Kemba. Kemba was one. Um, then even guys who just got into the league that are doing it. DeJounte was in one. DeJounte Murray. Um, he, he was in one. Just like one specific sure, yeah. clip, but just the move itself. Um, I'm blanking out on these guys. I haven't watched the video in a while. I, um, I still haven't. We've talked about the sport because I somewhat took over a media session once because I didn't like where it was going. I don't know if you noticed I did that, yeah. but about... Do you think the whole Greenwich Country Day and learning how to learn, like, you know how to take this video and, like, this matters, right? Yeah, like, the thing that people understand with Greenwich Country Day and a lot of private schools, but especially Greenwich Country Day, like, you learned how I didn't do too well at school there. You know, I wasn't really, I was really into recess. That was my thing. (laughs) But, um, like, you learn how to study, how to prepare. That and Brewster as well. Uh, Country Day taught me the, the basics, you know. Um, you have so many homework assignments. Like when you're in the seventh grade, you're learning as a ninth grader. When you're in eighth grade, you're learning as a tenth grader. Ninth, learning to eleventh. Um, that's what people didn't understand. So I, be, I was there from the third grade, so I was always two years ahead of my time at that point. 
um, even though I wasn't doing as well as I was in high school, you know, you were still learning, still forming those habits. So then when I got to Brewster, um, now I'm on my own. Now I, I realize, wow, Country Day really helped me because now I know, all right, this is free time. I got to buckle down. I got to do this. I got to study. I got to be able to go from 8 to 10, which is our designated time, to finish these assignments. Uh, you know, one thing, I was always a big procrastinator. And going to Country Day allowed me to realize that there are times, not so much at Country Day, but when you leave. And that was the biggest thing with them. They told me, like, when you leave, you understand how much, how important this is. And I took that away from, from being at Country Day. That procrastination is, is killer to some people in, in, in life, in this league, and in everything. And I think that's been my biggest initiative, just being able to do it, do it right away. I mean, when it comes to them teaching me certain things, I'm feeling I want to get it that next game. That way there's no... All right, it'll eventually come. Like, no, let's let's do it now. That's my that's my biggest. So Donovan Mitchell, there, pretty to me, that's eye opening. That's interesting stuff in regards to how he learns, what makes him a better player, what how he's developed as a player, uh, how his brain works, what the academic background helped him out a great deal. Uh, so all the more, and he's just you know he's delightful to talk to. He's so mature. Jazz and the Warriors tonight. It's gonna be a fun one. I mean, it just doesn't get much better than having the Warriors in town, obviously. Uh, the Warriors are actually interesting. They are not defending until they have to. In my prep, that's what jumped out to me more about the Warriors than anything else. They're ninth in the league right now defensively. If you look at them defensively by quarter, in the first quarter, they're 26th. In the second quarter, they're, they're fifth. So what that says to me is that they come out and they try to outscore you, and when that doesn't work, then they're like, all right, fine, we'll play a little defense. And then they have led at the half in 30 of their 50 games, which is not as much as you actually would think since they've won four out of five. They've only led in three out of five. So then when they then they decide, all right, we'll really defend, and they're number two in the league defensively in third quarters. And then they've led in 37 of their 50 games by the time they get to the fourth quarter. It's pretty incredible. You go look at their metrics, offensive and defensive metrics, and you can break it down now to whether they're how they're doing when they're winning or losing. I think this is pretty interesting. So in a game in which they are down by five, they're the third best defensive team in the league. Down by 6 to 10, they're the third best team in the league. Down by 11 or 22, 15, for whatever reason, they're, they're bad. Down by 16 to 20, they're the second best defensive team in the league. And if they're down by more than 20, they're the second best defensive team in the league. Okay, so those were all second or third best. If they're ahead, they're the 17th. If they're ahead by 6 to 10, they're the 18th. If they're ahead by 11 to 15, they're the 16th. And if they're ahead by 16 to 20, they're the 12th. In other words, in those circumstances, we're ahead, we can just keep outscoring you. That's really, when you look at them, what jumps out is they're only playing to the level they need to. And Steph Curry, as we talked about on Friday, is the MVP of the show. Steph, or MVP of the show, MVP of the league. Steph Curry is doing things this year that are incredible. Since December 1, he's shooting 50% from three. His true shooting percentage, which weighs in free throws and three-point shots, is a career high. His effective field goal percentage is .8 off his MVP year, which is one of the you know greatest offensive seasons of all time. Since coming back from the ankle injury on 
He takes 5.8 catch-and-shoot three-pointers a game. He makes 51%. He takes 5.6 off the bounce three-point attempts. He's also making 51%. He's he's one of four guys who are taking more than two off-the-bounce threes a game and shooting over 40%. He's shooting 60% in the mid-range. Since coming back from the ankle injury, he's averaging 32 points, 5 rebounds, 6 assists, shooting 55% from the field, 51% from 3 on 12 threes a game. They are, he is remarkable. And then Kevin Durant, last 10 games, is shooting 54% from the field and 51% from 3. And Clay Thompson is shooting 50% and 45% from 3. It's just awesome, actually. Is what it is. Completely awesome. Recently, we, being my wife and I, uh, refinanced our house. And we used a company called Intercap Lending. They are now a Utah-based company. They've been in the business for 40 years. They're one of the largest independent lending companies out there. They actually they do a lot of neat stuff. So they are able to, because they're a direct lender deal with difficult loans very, very well. Low credit, self-employed, business assets. They do a lot with the military, uh, multiple properties. They can take a look at your loan. There's all sorts of little tiny hang-ups that exist inside the, the loan process. If you've had a loan turned down or you've had something where one of your unique aspects to who you are or your situation gets you caught up, then intercap lending can help you out. Give Steve Carter a call, 385-800-8528. That's 385-800-8528. These guys have done a great job with us. They made it as simple and straightforward. I use their app at Intercap Lending, which you can also use to pre-qualify without talking to anyone. The market's insane, so you may want to pre-qualify based on that information. Then you give that information to your realtor. They work in, they're active in 44 states, so it's not only Utah. They close the loan. They close the loan on time. They communicate through the app. And the greatest thing they're doing for you is they're giving you your appraisal for free by being a Locked On Jazz listener. So call Intercap Lending, 385-885-28. That's 385-885-28. Steve Carter is the name. Intercap Lending, NMLS, number 19. 0465. For more information, visit intercaplending.com and download that Intercap Lending app. Hi, this is Nate Duncan from Locked On's Hollinger and Duncan podcast. Those of you who listen to our show know that I try to take a measured approach. I'm not prone to hyperbole. It really takes something special to get me excited. But with all that said, Theragun is simply one of the best products that I have ever used. I just turned 40. I've always loved to work out, to play basketball when it's safe. And as I got into my 30s, it just wasn't possible to do that anymore the way I wanted to because my body didn't feel right. And Theragun has helped me fix so many of the aches and pains. I tried everything, massages, chiropractors, this at-home device, handheld percussive therapy has worked better than any of those for me. And now the all-new Gen 4 Theragun has a proprietary brushless motor. It's so quiet. It's no louder than an electric toothbrush. And best of all, you can try Theragun risk-free for 30 days. There's no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4 with an OLED screen, personalized Theragun app, and the quiet and power you need starts at only $199. Go to theragun.com slash locked on, the name of this network right now, and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's theragun.com slash locked on. Theragun.com slash locked on. 
All right, Blake Griffin trade. Let's get the perspective of the Lockdown Podcast Network. We have the local experts on the biggest stories. So let's start it off and get the perspective from Lucas Hand of Lockdown Clippers. So the Clippers traded Blake Griffin. I'm Lucas Hand, host of the Lockdown Clippers podcast. I'm going to walk you through the Clippers perspective on this deal. The first thing that you have to know about this deal is it's tremendously emotionally impactful for Clippers fans, probably in a way that it doesn't impact the new members of the front office, Steve Ballmer, who's owned the team for a few years, Jerry West, who's newly brought in. Blake Griffin was picked with the Clippers' first overall pick in 2009. He's been at the center of every discussion regarding the organization in the last nine years. He scored over 10,000 points for the team. He's been an all-star five times. He's been on an all-NBA team four times. He is a phenomenal, phenomenal player. And in a big part, even more than the Chris Paul era, the overall Blake Griffin era, which started before and now stretched half a season after Chris Paul's time with the team, lifted the Clippers out of irrelevance and kind of put them on the national map, put them in nationally televised games, put them in sports center highlights in a way that they just hadn't been before. Um, and probably in a way that, that a lot of other teams or t- fan bases might not be able to understand because there are a few teams in sports that were as irrelevant before that 2009 draft as the Clippers had been. But Blake Griffin made the team relevant. He made people care about them. And even with all of his faults, with his shortcomings, he certainly is not someone who was popular with other fan bases around the league, but he is a guy who has meant a lot to the Clippers and their fans over the last decade. And so it means a lot to these fans that Blake Griffin has been moved. But from the front office's perspective, they almost can't afford to look at it in that emotional light. And they felt as though Blake Griffin, about to turn 29 years old in March, with his injury history, having missed significant amounts of games in each of the last three years, having missed 15 games so far this season, seemingly always getting banged up and hurt just in time for the playoffs um, and not being at his best in the postseason, and with a massive five-year contract that the Clippers just had to give him last summer to retain him, they felt like it was something that they had to get out of for the long-term benefit of the team and of being able to build a winning and championship contending team. Frankly, they felt like paying Blake Griffin $30 million a year this year and more in each of the next four years after this one was not something that they could build a championship team around. And that's not something that that is easy to swallow for Clippers fans who have loved Blake Griffin for so many years. It's, you know, maybe it's not something that ends up being a good trade. The package they got for him certainly isn't something that blows you away. It wasn't some godfather offer. They got Tobias Harris, Avery Bradley, Boban Marjanovic, a 2018 first round pick and 2019 second round pick from the Pistons, which is a decent package. But I think it's the kind of package that says to me, the Clippers were looking to move Blake Griffin to get out from under this contract, to try to retool and rebuild on the fly, rather than the Pistons called the Clippers with some phenomenal offer that blew the Clippers away and they just had to trade Blake Griffin even though it wasn't something that they wanted to do. And so I think that this is a really, really telling move for where the front office is, how they evaluate this roster and the other players on the roster, and what they think the right move is going forward for this team with you know, in regards to other trades and other free agency moves. I think the Clippers are going to continue to sell talent at the deadline, which is not something that I necessarily foresaw them doing. I certainly didn't think 
they would move Blake Griffin, but guys like Lou Williams, guys like DeAndre Jordan, even a newcomer like Avery Bradley are all guys that the Clippers could look to move in the next 10 days as we head towards the trade deadline, trying to acquire more draft picks, more young talent, create more cap flexibility going forward. It is going to be fascinating to see what this franchise and front office does in the next 10 days and in the weeks and months to come heading into the draft and free agency. And it's really, really going to be interesting to me to track in the next five years how this trade looks for each team, both in how Blake Griffin, whether he's able to stay healthy or not, what his production levels look like in Detroit, how his game ages as he reaches 32 years old at the end of his contract, and how his deal may limit Detroit's cap flexibility. On the other hand, from the Clippers' perspective, are they ever able to find a talent like Blake Griffin again to build this team around? And if they aren't, it could be a failure even if the contract would have been crippling. So it's definitely something that's going to be really, really interesting to keep an eye on. If you want more coverage of this deal and of the Clippers heading into the trade deadline, be sure to ch- check out the Locked On Clippers podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at LucasJHan and check out ClipsNation.com. Okay, that's the Western Conference point of view. Matt Shook does a nice job on Locked On Pistons as well. Let's hear what he has to say. The Pistons got Blake Griffin in a big deal on Monday afternoon. Blake's been one of those villains, that one of those guys you have loved to hate over the past several years on the other side of the court. But the good news is that's basically Pistons' DNA. Now, it's not exactly the same way that Griffin's built his reputation that the Pistons had over the past several decades with their toughness that has been personified over the years. But we will see how it goes. And certainly it's a lot of money for a long time for a guy with a big injury risk. But we've seen Detroit teams in the past, they've needed to find different ways to get top talent. They haven't really made things happen in free agency, and Stan Van Gundy has not made it happen through the draft in his four years so far with the Pistons as well. But hey, the move, it's something interesting. And its that's more than we can say about what this team has done over the past decade. It's a franchise that's been lost in the woods since the going-to-work era. Really not much good to say about this team, really not much to say about this team at all. As far as the deal... They didn't give up Luke Kennard, which would have been pretty much a disaster. They didn't give up Stanley Johnson while his value is low and the team could maybe be opportunistic and buy low for him in his third year. So there's some things to like about it. They got rid of the Bobon's contract, which is a good thing as well. They did give up that first-round pick, but there doesn't seem to be a whole lot in this draft to love past the top seven or eight players and hopefully the Pistons pick doesn't end up in the top seven or eight. Right now, I've advocated on this podcast about trading Avery Bradley a bunch in the past couple weeks, so you know where I stand there. As far as Tobias Harris, certainly we're not crazy about losing him in Pistons Nation. He's a great guy, an easy guy to root for for the fans, but all season we've kind of waited for a little bit more from him. He got better going into last year and kind of carried this last year's team through a, a horrible season and has been the most reliable scorer this season as well. But we've talked a lot about some of those quiet 20-point games that we've always been waiting for a little bit more from him. He can't seem to get to the free throw line in, in, late in games and can't really be a good scorer in the fourth quarter. We need someone who can get a bucket a little bit easier than that. Well, Blake Griffin is here, and he's that guy. He's a wide body. He's a crafty scorer. I remember when the Pistons beat the Clippers this year, Griffin at times can kind of just put his butt right into Anthony Tolliver, take him down to the lane, and did a lot of work on one of the top defenders in the league, although Tolliver's uh, not as strong as Blake Griffin, and that was going to be a matchup problem. But those are some of the matchup problems that the Pistons will look to exploit when they have Blake Griffin on their side, and it's something they didn't have before. Another interesting thing with Griffin is 
what does this do to Andre Drummond's spot in the high post of the offense? We saw that Andre's had good court vision there, but also saw that he was limited when some of the things broke down initially when that high post offensive set. No way was Andre going to be knocking down anything outside of eight feet, but he also couldn't drive to the hole when he tried to go from the three-point line as well. Seems like Blake Griffin would be good for that spot in the post, but then what do you do with Andre? But I think some of those thoughts of this guy's in the high post, this guy's in the low post, kind of oversimplifies things a little bit. There are a lot of possessions in an NBA season, and why can't guys alternate between spots in the posts along the way? And along those lines, Andre with his you know, maybe get him back a little bit towards the baseline, not in a post-up position, but kind of out of the way a little bit at times, uh, stay out of the way of Blake's uh, real estate in the post, maybe set some screens on the perimeter, and also kind of um, take advantage of maybe some of the defense sagging towards Blake, look for lobs as well. And then a lot of this Pistons uh, franchise hinges on Reggie Jackson getting back healthy, and maybe we'll see if uh, Blake and Reggie can kind of duplicate some of the success they had in Lob City with uh, Chris Paul and Blake Griffin there. But some other scattered thoughts. This is probably an indication that Stan Van Gundy is back for next season to coach out the fifth and final year of his contract and also in the front office as well. Whatever happens the rest of the way with this season, you can make the argument that this move and this new team is going to take more than the 34 games left this season to be analyzed. But my bottom line is this. Before the trade, there was nothing really to like about this Pistons team this season and really not much to look forward to next year too. Well, now... It will be interesting, which is more than we could say on Monday morning. Since the trade, which was only a couple hours ago now, I've heard from about 20 different people on texts, and I promise you that these are not people who are thinking about the Pistons over the weekend. I threw out a query on Twitter about what do you think and got all sorts of responses, most of them negative, but at least that there were some responses there. Plus, hey, the Pistons are in the news for the first time in a long time. And that's a good thing for a change. Will it be a good thing a few years from now? I'm certainly skeptical about it, but it might be fun to find out. All right, that is a mammoth show right there. Long, big, huge Donovan Mitchell, the Clippers, the Pistons, all sorts of stuff. It's brought to you by Murdoch Hyundai out in Logan, in Linden, excuse me, as well as at 4646 South State Street. And brought to you by Intercap Lending. Call Steve Carter at 385-800-8528. Have a great day. Thanks for tuning in to the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi, guys. This is Josh Lloyd, host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. The NBA is back, so that means that fantasy basketball is back in one form or another. We've got daily fantasy, but there's also some fantasy leagues with the resumption of play with these eight regular season games in Orlando, and Locked On Fantasy Basketball is going to have you covered. It's not just for fantasy basketball, though, because we recap all of the games across the NBA, so if you're looking for a broad overview of the action across the league every day, Locked On Fantasy Basketball is the podcast for you.